I want to share with you something I've been thinking about this last week or so on the uh, two tables of two kings. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both his feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba said, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Joshua, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It says, Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Verse 10. And verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And 13. Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both his feet. Now, I want to speak this morning about the riches of God's grace and I can seldom remember a service where so much has been in line with the message as in this service this morning. In fact, I hardly need to preach it. It's all come already in the hymns we've sung and the prayers. But I believe the riches of God's grace are shown in two um, story of two kings. One is King Saul and the other is King David. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 25 to 27, we read this. The king, Saul, sat down at his table, but David's place was empty. Kings sat down, but David's place was empty. But in the passage we've just read in 2 Samuel 9, we read that Mephibosheth always ate at King David's table. So here are two kings' tables. We're presently going to participate of the kings' table here in the Lord's Supper. Kings' tables were important places because kings sat there and had their meals. But not only that, they were places where important people could come and could consult with the king, could talk with him. So they were very significant places. And here was an empty place at King Saul's table. It ought to have been filled because David was a very important person. He had killed Goliath. He had saved Israel from defeat. He had won a great victory. He had been um, adopted by King Saul as his armor bearer and even offered his 
daughter for wife, so he became his son-in-law. So a very important person. He ought to have been at the king's table. But he wasn't. David's place was empty. And the reason why it was empty was that David had no place in the heart of King Saul. He should have had. The difficulty was, of course, that David had been anointed king in Saul's place. You know the story. Saul had been anointed, the first king of Israel. Great opportunities, but he disobeyed God. He was rebellious in his heart, two occasions. And so God rejected him right out of hand to show that no king could have any place with God if he was disobedient. And God chose a man after his own heart who would obey. And it was young David, the shepherd boy, who was anointed. And then, of course, David became Saul's armor-bearer. He went out to war. He defeated Goliath, killed him, defeated the Philistines, and became uh, a great potential leader. Now, Saul liked David. He liked the fact that he could win victories and save his kingdom. He liked him that when he was in a bad mood and an evil spirit came upon him, he could get David to come and play the harp and drive the evil spirit away and could comfort him. So he liked David to save him and to soothe him. But he didn't like David to supplant him, which is exactly what was going to happen. David was going to take Saul's place and so Saul shut David out of his heart and he tried to kill him on at least two occasions. He had no place for God's anointed king. And this, of course, is what the world has done with Jesus. Jesus is God's anointed king. And people like to think that Jesus can save them, that he died upon the cross. They like to have Jesus to soothe them, to bring comfort to their hearts when they're sick and ill and dying and so on. But the one thing we don't want is that Jesus should supplant us. But that's what must happen. Because like Saul, we are all fallen kings. We've been disobedient and another has been chosen instead of us. There was only one person of whom God was ever able to say in this world, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that was Jesus. He couldn't say that about any others of us, because we are fallen kings. Now eventually, Saul was overthrown and killed in a Philistine battle, and David became king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 8, which you probably have still got open, the whole chapter is given to a narrative of David's victories over Philistines and everybody else. And he eventually, it says, verse 13, became famous. And uh, it says, The Lord gave him victory wherever he went, and he was accepted and loved by all the people. David became king. And immediately, when this happened, he asked a question. 
said he reigned over all Israel, verse 15, did what was just and right. And then he asked, is there anyone left of the house of Saul whom I can show the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake? Now, of course, in those days, when a, a, a reigning house was deposed, uh, you got rid of all the, all the family because you didn't want to have any threat remaining uh, to cause a, a coup d'etat, of course, and get rid of you again. So you got rid of all the, uh, the deposed house. And it would have been quite logical for David to have done that. When he said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may get rid of him? He said, no, to whom I may show the kindness of God. And David uses his great power and authority and victory, his position of power, to show kindness to one who belonged to the enemy house, the rejected house. Now David took a risk. He made himself vulnerable. But he showed in this action that he had forgiven the past and his enemy Saul, who tried to kill him many times, was now his friend. So he made a place for Mephibosheth at his table. And if we've thought of the empty place at Saul's table, where David was not wanted, we can now think of the open place at David's table, where Saul is received in the person of his grandson. So Mephibosheth comes, comes in fear and trembling, thinking that his end has come. Surprised to find that he is received graciously and lovingly by David. This open place at David's table is not occupied by a very important person. The places were for important people, the councillors and the cabinet and you know not who. But here is a non-important person, a beggar, a fugitive, a doomed man, came in great fear. He came and said, uh, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, if you know anything about the East, you know that uh, there are special dogs, but the, the usual run of dogs are just strays that run around and to be kicked and to be cursed. So dogs are not worth much. But a dead dog isn't worth anything at all. That's even worse. A dead dog is to be kicked in the gutter. He's going to stink presently. Nobody wants a dead dog. And this is what Mephibosheth calls himself. He comes as a dead dog. He comes with nothing. He comes from a place called Lodibar, where he lived, which means in the Hebrew, no pasture, nothing. As though there was a time when it was just a waste. He has no means. He has no strength. He's a cripple in both his feet. He was dropped when he was a baby. So he's a hunchback. He has no claim on anything, he has no rights, he has no hope. And I seem to hear in this an echo that comes from Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, you were once dead in your sins and trespasses, and you were without hope and without God in the world, and you were the objects of wrath, he says, even as others. I seem to hear an echo of Romans chapter 5, when we were without Christ died for the ungodly that's how he came that's how we come 
isn't easy to feel that, that we have nothing. Surely we've got something. I mean, haven't I got a heritage? Uh, didn't I have a father who was a Christian and a grandmother? Haven't I had a good education? Haven't I been to a theological college? Can't I come with something? No, you come with nothing. See, there was a church in Revelation that thought it had something. It said, I'm rich and increased with goods. And God says, you think you are, but you do not know that you are poor and wretched and naked and blind. That's what you're really like. And it's hard to accept this. But you see, Adam went out of Eden with nothing. The only thing he could have was this coat of skins that God had made to cover him. He had nothing else. He'd lost it all. And we are members of a fallen race. And we live in a spiritual wilderness. As far as God is concerned, spiritually we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. That which is of the flesh, says the Apostle, cannot please God. We have to come with nothing. Well, what's the good of singing just as I am without one plea, but that thou bidst me come to thee without one plea? Just as I am waiting not to rid my soul of one dark spot. We sing that hymn, do we mean it? But that's what we're like. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Apart from me you have nothing. You are a Mephibosheth. Absolutely nothing. And that's the ground on which we may come. Because grace is for people with nothing. I mean, if you've got something, all right. You can get some credit you think you have, but you have nothing. You know, there are some people who work their evangelism this way. They talk to a person, they say, if you died tonight, I hope you don't, but if you died tonight and you stood at the door of heaven, and God said, now what have you got that gives you claim to come in here to my heaven? What would you say? People come up with all sorts of answers. But the Bible has only one answer. Your only claim to go into God's heaven when you die is that you have nothing but that Jesus died for you. I am a lost sinner, but Jesus died for me. That's how the dying thief went into heaven. He had nothing. Absolutely nothing. But when he repented and believed, Jesus said, today we will be in paradise. And that's how we must come, just as we are, with nothing. And this is the one who's brought to the table. And as you come to the table this morning, you come as one who, in your own self-life, have nothing that pleases God. All you have is in Jesus. And you come in his merits and his grace alone. That's how Mephibosheth came. When he came, what did he find? Well, he first of all found that he was accepted. He was accepted. He must have been simply amazed. He had been rejected. He belonged to a rejected dynasty. God had rejected Saul and his kingdom. He comes to find he's accepted. And this is what grace is. Grace accepts what ought to be rejected. The law of God would reject us because we fail to keep it. 
but the grace of God accepts us and accepts us for Jesus' sake. And so David says here that I may show kindness, God's kindness, for Jonathan's sake. Now think here. Here is Saul, the rejected king, a picture of the world, of you and me and our sins, rejected. Here is David, the king, glorious and victorious on the throne. How is this man after God's own heart, David, to show the kindness of God to a man who's rejected by God? Only one way. Because in between there is a third person. There is Jonathan. Now Jonathan was the son of Saul, but Jonathan was the comrade of David. The one whom David loved and who loved David. And they'd made a covenant together. And the covenant made more than one occasion was that they would stand together, whatever happened, and that David would show kindness to Jonathan's family even when Jonathan might have been killed, as he was eventually. So here's the Saul, the rejected king. Here's David, the accepted king. One a picture of man in his sin. One a picture of God in his righteousness. And in between is a mediator, Jonathan. And Jonathan is the father of Mephibosheth. And Jonathan is the friend of David. And David accepts Mephibosheth, the doomed man, for the sake of Jonathan, his father, whom he loved. And that's what God has done. Jesus accepted people who were rejected. When the Pharisees brought a woman to, to, to Jesus who was caught in an act of adultery, they said, the law says you must stone her. What do you say? And Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn her. If you can't condemn her, because you're not sinless, I can't condemn her. Go and sin no more. He, re he accepted that rejected woman. He accepted the thief on the cross. He received sinners and ate with them. And they were horrified. Father accepted the prodigal son when he came home in repentance. And God accepts sinners for Jesus' sake when they come in repentance and faith. God accepts those that ought to be rejected. Isn't that wonderful? When we, ex when we admit that we ought to be rejected and we come saying, I'm a dead God, I have no rights, but I, I trust in your grace, you are accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians chapter 1 says, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. And that's why we accept one another. It says, accept one another as God, for Christ's sake, has accepted you. And my only grounds of acceptance with a holy God is that Jesus died for me a sinner and shed his blood on the cross. And I received that and I repent. He was accepted. And secondly, he was enriched. Here he comes with nothing. And then to his amazement, not only is he given a place at David's table, but David says, I am giving you back all the lands of Saul, your grandfather. Everything that was lost because of his sin, I am going to restore because of my grace. And Mephibosheth finds himself a rich man, a prince, a son of the king, not only accepted, 
but enriched. And beloved, that's what God has done. Paul starts that great uh, epistle of Ephesians by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We don't know how rich we are. Paul says we have nothing, but we have all things in Christ. He gives you peace, he gives you joy, he gives you love in your heart, he gives you the Holy Spirit, he gives you promises, limitless promises, he gives you a hope, he gives you a life to live that's worthwhile, he gives you a fellowship, he gives you all things to enjoy. You are rich beyond compare. In him the tribes of Adam boast. More blessings than their fathers lost, says Isaac Watts in his hymn. Oh, what riches. All things are yours. Rich through grace. So live in the riches. And lastly, he was always there. Notice it says that he, uh, he, he was always eating at the king's table. Never a day, but he was there. See Mephibosheth hobbling along. Where are you going, Mephibosheth? Oh, he's got royal robes on now. He's going to the king's table. Uh, I wonder whether he goes there just to get a good meal. I don't think so. I think he goes there because David's there. He wants to be where David is. And the king's table is open to him at all times. And he's always there. He never stayed away. I don't want to stay away from the Lord's table at any time. Because it's the Lord's table. He's there. I want to see Jesus. I don't want to stay away from the worship of God's people. Not just because I want to have a good time, but because I want to see Jesus. He loved David. He loved David with all his heart. He owed everything to David. He was overcome by David's magnificent grace to him. And when David later on uh, was, had to flee because his son Absalom tried a rebellion... Poor Mephibosheth didn't know what to do with himself. He went around mourning and fasting in rags because David was rejected. That's how much he loved David. And that's why he was always there. He loved David. And so this morning, come and take your place at the table, the king's table. In your heart you have often not given Jesus the place. Neither have I that we should have done. And we need to repent of that. Whenever we've allowed anything, self and sin, to displace Jesus, so that in our hearts his place has been empty, we need to repent of that. But the place at his table for you is always open. He has a place in his heart for you, always even though you haven't always had a place in your heart for him. Isn't that grace? And that melts me. That makes me want to repent. Lord Jesus, forgive me that I've allowed anything, evil thoughts, selfish motives or desires, greed or lust or whatever it be, to displace you from your place in my heart. And I come as a penitent to your table and I thank you for your grace. And I open my heart to you. I want to be Lord always at your table. But of course, it's not just literal. It's a spiritual table. It's always wanting to live in the presence of the Lord. 
It's to keep yourself in the love of God. Always to be wanting in, to be in the sunshine of his love, to see him, to worship him, to love him, to talk to him, to listen to him, and to tell him others about him, never misusing his grace, but always receiving it and passing it on to other people. He was always at the king's table. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for such grace. Now let the poor say I am rich and let the weak say I am strong because of what the Lord has done for me. Praise God.